Well, this is the penultimate uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going for this over a number of months, over three months, working our way through the greatest sermon that was ever preached, Jesus' own sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we will be ending next Sunday with the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, which is all about uh, whether you're going to put the Sermon on the Mount into action or not, whether you're going to build your house on the sand or whether you're going to build your house on the rock is the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really Jesus saying, what are you going to do with what you've just heard? And then we're going to be starting a new series in October. And uh, that new series, I've just forgotten what I've called it, is, oh yes, the new series will be called Beyond Death, What Happens After You Die. Beyond Death, What Happens After You Die. I mean, do you know what? Most of our, ex- most of our conscious existence will take place after death. Do you know that? We're only on the earth for a very, very, very short while. 70, 80, 90. I mean, you'll be blessed if you make 100, won't you? But when you die, you don't cease to exist. You continue to exist. Uh, you, you, and that existence... What is that? That existence will go on and on forever and ever and ever and ever. A hundred years will be like a second. And so the thing is, Paul lived in the light of eternity. He lived his life on earth knowing that should Jesus tarry and not return before he died, he knew that he was going to spend his existence after death in a place called heaven and that everything he did on earth determined, would determine how he lived in eternity. Now, salvation is a free gift, but his reward, his honor to Jesus, everything that he did in these few short moments on earth would determine the rest of his existence in eternity. So we, we got some important teaching to look at. We need to look at what happens when you die. Some people think that when you die, you go into some sort of soul sleep. That's nonsense. Uh, Some people think that when you die, everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't matter what religion you believe in. You'll go to heaven and everybody will be happy in the end. Mother Teresa will be there and Hitler will be there. It'll all come out in the wash. It'll all be fine. Some people believe that when you die, you cease to exist. That's it. You, you, You just, no, that's it. You're gone. But the Bible teaches us that everybody that dies continues an existence. And that existence speaks about heaven, and it speaks about hell. We need to know what heaven is, what its nature is, what will happen there. We need to know about hell. Is hell forever? Is it really forever? Do people really go to hell forever? We need to answer these questions because there's a lot of false teaching out there. There's never been more false teaching on the doctrine of heaven and hell than there is today. We need to ask ourselves, what about resurrection? What will happen When we're resurrected, what's all that about? What will our bodies be like? Uh, What about rewards? Well, all these things. You know, we spend so much time, and I'm glad we do, teaching on how to get along on earth, don't we? You know, we had some great teaching at the 2.30 service on relationships. Very important. And and how to handle your money and um, how to live with one another. The Sermon on the Mount is very much how to live on earth. But in the end... When you look at the balance of things, we should spend a lot more time 
discussing, thinking, praying, and being aware of what happens after we die. Because this is just the tiny, tiny, tiny introduction to our eternal existence. But everything that happens in our lives in this tiny, tiny introduction will determine our existence forever and ever and ever. And there's a lot of teaching that we're going to look at. So, um, we're going to be looking at that series on uh, what happens after you die. Um, but we're still in the Sermon on the Mount together. And if you have your uh, Bibles with you, it'd be great if you t- turn to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. Of course, all of the um, teaching that we've done on the Sermon on the Mount is on our webpage. You go to kt.org. And then go to the media section. And then you can go down to the place where it says series. So you don't have to try and find every week. You can just go and press the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And all of these teachings on the Sermon on the Mount are there for you. So if you've missed any or if you've just joined us for the first time today, don't worry about it. If you're interested in the Sermon on the Mount, then you can go through the subject matter in your own time using the teaching there on the internet. If you're interested in getting a book on the Sermon on the Mount, I couldn't recommend more highly R.T. Kendall's book, The Sermon on the Mount, that was published last year. Absolutely fantastic and of a great help to me in preparing these, these, these lectures, not lectures, these teachings or lectures. Maybe they are a bit like a lecture, I don't know. Now, we're in Matthew chapter 7, and next week in the final session, I will once again go through all of the sermons so that you can see everything in context in in conclusion. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of spirit-filled living. You can't live the Sermon on the Mount without being born again and filled with the Spirit. It's impossible for a human being without God to live these types of principles that Jesus talks about. It's not another law. It's not to replace the law of Moses. These aren't laws that we read in the Sermon on the Mount. They're examples and principles of the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes that begin the Sermon on the Mount. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is the spirit-filled believer in a nutshell. All those characteristics of the Beatitudes, the blessed, these are the characteristics. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Another way would be to go to Galatians 5 and see the fruit of the Spirit. It's just another way of saying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all these things are echoed here in in the Beatitudes. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 are simply a description, illustrations, and examples of how the person with the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, how they would deal with different situations that they face. And last week we found ourselves in chapter 7, and we looked at the very important issue of judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And we said, looking at that, that what Jesus is talking about, he's saying that 
your attitude to others will be God's attitude to you. You set the standard of which you will be judged by. This judgment's got nothing to do with whether you go to heaven or hell. Uh, Heaven is a gift. You receive it freely. It's not linked to your actions. This is talking about our life on earth. That if we are judgmental and harsh in our judgments of other people, then God will give us a taste of our own medicine. But if we are merciful and non-judgmental towards others, thinking the best of them, loving them, preferring them, then God will give us a taste of that medicine, which I'd prefer to have. It reminds us, doesn't it, of blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. One of the Beatitudes, it's a description of it. In other words, if you're merciful, you'll receive mercy. So if you're not, you won't. Well, God is merciful whether you are merciful or not. But there's a correlation here, the way that you treat others. And so if, if we are, we all want to receive mercy, but how much do we give to it? And God will put us in places sometimes where we'll be with other people where, where we'll say, I want them to be sorted out. I want them to be dealt with. I want justice. I want to, the, I, or you might be in a situation where somebody is under you and you can treat them harshly and you give them a real dealing over. And you think, well, that's just what they deserved. Well, wait for a minute because you're coming next. And we looked at that. But what we weren't saying, and as we come into verse 6, what we weren't saying is that therefore you can never make a spiritual judgment. That, that you can never sit down as a church leadership and make a judgment about a matter. It's not saying that we shouldn't have church discipline, which is always for restoration anyway. It's not saying that we can't make a judgment about a matter or an action. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the spirit of Pharisaism, the spirit of judgmentalism. That's what it's talking about. So you'd be foolish to stop at, um, you know, verse 4, which says, you know, uh, looking at the speck in somebody else and you've got a plank in your eye and then say, okay, I'm not, whatever anybody does, I'm not going to make a judgment. Who am I to judge? I won't make a judgment on false teaching. I won't make a judgment on that type of attitude or that action. Um, judge not lest you be judged. Well, I won't make any judgments at all. No, it's not saying that. And we can see it's not saying that because we're coming to the text that we're beginning with right today, right now. It says, verse 6, Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Well, that's a very powerful statement. And often, again, I said that a lot of the statements in the Sermon on the Mount are sort of like catchphrases. And people even use them in the world. So, you know, you'll find people that aren't even Christians saying to somebody, well, you know, don't cast your pearls amongst the pigs. In other words, you know, don't, you know, don't tell people that aren't going to appreciate what you're saying. And so this is a well-known scripture, but as I've said before in this series, this is one sermon. All right, I know Jesus probably taught it over three or four days, but this is one teaching. You can't just dive into the Sermon on the Mount, pick up a scripture, pull it out of its context, and make it mean something by itself. You'll probably get the wrong end of the stick if you do that. And we see that this talking about don't cast, don't give what holy to the dog or cast your pearls before swine. Then it comes straight after saying, judge not lest you be judged. And the measure that you will judge is the measure that God will judge you with. So he's just taught about non-judgmentalism. But then Jesus says, well, yeah, 
Don't be judgmental and harsh. Uh, have, the right, have the right attitude to, towards people. Don't point the finger, that type of attitude. But then he says, however, there is a spiritual assessment to be made. There is a spiritual discernment to be made. And having said don't judge, he then says, don't give it to pigs. Don't give it to dogs. Which is quite strange, isn't it? Don't judge. Don't be point fingers. But make sure you know who are dogs and who are pigs. So if anybody's going soft because they've misunderstood the first few verses in, um, in, ch- in chapter 7... Now look at Jesus. He's saying, watch out for dogs, watch out for pigs. He's saying that we have to make an assessment, a spiritual assessment and discernment over particular individuals. Now this isn't a a pointing a finger, a judging, a harshness, but it's a spiritual assessment. Now the assessment about pigs and dogs, which is very strong language, you know, to, to English people or British people perhaps, you know, a dog is a lovely, fluffy little thing, isn't it? And they let it sleep on their beds and everything like that, you know. So, the, you know, the idea of giving a pearl to a dog, you know, some people probably put a pearls on the collar, you know, make the dog look nicer. But those of you from the Middle East and Africa know that dogs aren't pets where you come from. They don't sleep on the bottom of the bed. They don't come and sit on your lap when you're watching television. Their place is outside. And it was the same in these times. I mean, the Jews, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And in those days, dogs were, you know, they were half wild, ravenous, half, you know, that, that, that you really didn't pet them or keep them as, as friends. And pigs, well, you can imagine what a pig was when Jesus said this to pig. Pigs were unclean. And so Jesus is talking about unclean. He's talking about, really he's speaking about these images of animals, because he's not speaking about animals, he's speaking about people. So what is the image? Well, for me, the image is people that are carnal. This is speaking about carnality. What is carnality? It's worldliness. It's, it's, it's disinterest in the things of, of the spirit, of the word of God, the things of the kingdom of God. For me, carnal, fleshly, I did a really, well, I was going to say, well, in my opinion, it was a really good sermon. You <laughs> shouldn't really say that, should you? I did a really good sermon. I did a sermon a few weeks ago at the 7 o'clock on um, 1 Corinthians, and it was entitled, I Could Not Speak to You as Spiritual. And that whole sermon was about, really, the attitudes of carnality that stop people hearing from God. Because all they want to hear about is the things that are worldly, selfish, carnal, They're not interested in the things of eternity. And this is giving us a hint to what Jesus is speaking about. It's about speaking and giving information that is appropriate to the person that that, that you have in front of you. Paul said to the the Corinthians, and they were all over the place when he dealt with them. I mean, they were getting drunk, having orgies, being proud, following one minister and church splits. And he says, I can't speak to you as, as spiritual but only as carnal as babies. Why? Because they were fleshly. They weren't thinking in the line with the Spirit or the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to come back to this, but Jesus did this, you know. Jesus did not speak to everybody in the same way. He did not treat everybody the same. Do you know that? I mean, the way in John's Gospel he spoke to the great teacher Nathaniel was very different to the way that he spoke to the woman of Samaria. With Nathaniel, 
Jesus was sort of like, you know, do I have to explain it to you? You must be born again. And Nathaniel's like, how can you be, or was it Nicodemus? Sorry, I was thinking of, no, Nathaniel was the good guy, wasn't he? He was, in him there was no guile, excuse me. Nicodemus, and he's saying, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is saying, uh, how can I get inside my mother's And Jesus didn't make it easy. He just, what's born of flesh is flesh, born of spirit. You know, he wasn't going to sit there and he's like, well, you think you're a teacher? He said, Jesus said, you're a teacher and you don't know this. And yet when he was with the woman of Samaria, I mean, he, according to culture, he shouldn't even be speaking to her anyway. Number one, she's a Samaritan and Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Number two, she's a woman and he's alone by a well. And yet think of the conversation, how he spoke to her, how he opened up to her, very different. Think about how he would often speak to sinners or those that were called sinners in compared to how he'd speak to the Pharisees. You know, he, he would be open, tender, spend time explaining. Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I, I want to have a meal with you and talk to you. And yet when he turned to the Pharisees, he didn't give them much, did he? I mean, you'd have thought he could have been a lot politer to the Pharisees, couldn't you? I mean, he obviously hadn't read that book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Because these were the religious leaders. You'd think he, he wouldn't just, you vipers brood. You whitewash tombs. You make somebody worse from, for hell than yourself. It would be better that they, they had a big millstone tied round their neck than be thrown in the ocean than sit under your teaching. I mean, is that going to win, friends? And he wouldn't explain to them. Why? Well, it's this pearls and swine. He didn't give to them. He withdrew. He withheld his teaching from some people. I mean, even with the disciples, he said, you know, why do you teach in parables? And he says, to you is given the knowledge of the kingdom of God, but to everybody else it comes in riddles. I mean, think about when he was in front of Pilate in the trial, he answered Pilate's questions. He discussed with Pilate. But in front of Herod, he wouldn't even say a word. I mean, imagine that. He's called in front of Herod, and he would not cast his pearl to that swine. He would not put that which was holy amongst what he considered a dog. You see, Herod should have known better. Herod had the scriptures. But you know the Bible said that he'd brought Jesus like some conjurer or mag magician, hoping he'd see a miracle or something. And Jesus was stood there in front of who was a king. And he didn't say one word. I mean, can you imagine being there and Herod speaking to him? And Jesus just looking at him, refuses to... He could have said so many things, couldn't he? He could have preached the gospel to Herod if he'd wanted to. He could have rebuked Herod. He didn't even give him the pearl, the great pearl of godly rebuke. And so when you look at that, you, you see that Jesus modeled what he was teaching here today. Sometimes he was very open to people who were hungry for what he had to say. And the sinners were hungry most of all. They... Jesus said, I haven't come to heal those that are um, healthy or think they're healthy. You Pharisees, you obviously don't need me. You're Pharisees. No, no, no I, don't, I don't want to talk to you. you know, you're fine. You've got it all sorted out. No, you're Pharisees. You don't need me. I, I haven't come to, to heal the healthy. And they were the sickest of the lot. But the sick, he went to all the people that thought they were forgotten, that, that, that would that couldn't believe it when Jesus wanted to uh, spend a few moments with them, you see. Think about Paul in Acts chapter 18 and 6. 
He got to the place. It was part of God's plan. He got to the place. He'd been preaching to the Jews and preaching to the Jews. And they were resisting him and resisting him. And then Acts 18, 6, he'd had enough. He said, that's it. I've had it with you, Lot. You stiff-necked Lot. You should know better. You've had the scriptures. You'd have everything. And you're still resisting the gospel. We are going to shake off our shoes and we're going to go and speak to the Gentiles. So basically what Paul was saying, no more pearls for you. I've had it with you. You don't deserve it. It's inappropriate for me to keep giving you pearls and for you to trample on them. It's inappropriate for me to keep giving you um, uh, holy things for you to desecrate them. And so this is talking about assessing people and appropriately sharing with them. I mean, let me give you an Old Testament example of somebody that threw pearls to swine, holy things amongst dogs, and paid a price. Joseph. Joseph. When God gave, oh, sorry, when Joseph had that dream about the sun and the, the moon bowing down to him and all his brothers bowing down, was that from God? That was from God. He received a dream from God. Was it wise of him to tell his brothers and his parents? Because they rebuked him. In fact, his sharing of that very precious pearl, because that pearl of revelation that his parents and his brothers would bow down to him was speaking about a long time away when when they bowed down to them, it would be the saving of the family because he'd be able to feed them in famine, true? So they were going to be blessed by that. But at the time, when he shared that spiritual dream, did they receive it spiritually? Well, how did they receive it? Carnally. It was like giving a pearl to a dog, a pearl to a pig, or something holy to a dog. In other words, what do you mean? Well, if you, put, if you give a pearl to a pig, what's it going to do? It's going to try and eat it, because all it's bothered about... I mean, I like pigs. I think they're a, a lovely animal, actually. I really do. Very intelligent and everything like that. And I think we do down pigs. And Jesus did make them clean, remember, in the end. Um, but that aside... You go to a pig, what's it interested in? Food. Food, that's what it's interested in. So you give it a pearl, he's going to chew it and spit it out. And he might come after you because he's angry because he wants food. So the pig will not discern the pearl as anything precious because the pig in this picture is too carnal. He's just interested in his own belly. And the same with the dog. You give something holy to a dog, you give a dog a New Testament... What's it going to do with it? Chew it, probably. <laughs> See if you can get any of it in its belly. Why? It doesn't recognize or appreciate. It's not what it's looking for. It doesn't interpret it. Like Joseph's family, Joseph's family they were not spiritually minded. And so when they heard that dream, they thought, oh, we know what this is about. Who are you to tell us that you're going to be the boss of us? You see, immediately they were carnal. They saw it as Joseph saying, I'm better than you, bigger than you, I'm going to be greater than you. And they took something that was spiritual and they received it as worldly. But it wasn't just their fault that they received it as worldly. You can almost understand that it was actually Joseph's fault. Because him sharing his dream was, was really like throwing a pearl to swine. And so Jesus is talking about this and he's talking about the fact that sometimes we have to discern what's right to share with somebody at the right time. Have you ever opened your life up to somebody too quick? See, it's the same principle. 
or shared something personal and have that sharing that intimate detail with a friend come back and bite you. You know, you think you're in a place of trust and you share something very precious to you. Could be an experience, something good or bad that happened. And you share it with somebody. It's precious to you what you've shared. You don't normally share this with people, but you share it with somebody. And it comes back and bites you. You know, they break the confidence. Or later on, they come back to you and they accuse you and say, well, no wonder, look what happened to you. And you're hurt because you think, do you know what? When I shared that, I thought you were different. I thought you would value that I was opening up to you, that I was putting confidence in you, that I was sharing something that's of great preciousness in my life that uh, I thought you would value, but no, I see you didn't value it at all. In fact, you're just using it for fleshly means to get back at me or make a cheap point. And this, this principle can be used in many things. I mean, you know, this isn't about not witnessing to people, you know. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we don't go, oh, not, the world is pigs and dogs. I'm not going to preach the gospel to them. That would be ridiculous. But there are times, you know, when it's inappropriate to keep sharing. I have a friend of mine, and I uh, haven't seen him much for a few years. But we went to university together, and he's an atheist. And he used to, like, throw everything, including the kitchen sink, at my faith. And I used to defend and reach out to him. And uh, there was one point when I was just thinking, do you know what? I've, I've shared, I thought to myself, I've, he was going, tell me about Christianity then. Tell me about, and he was asking me all about the faith. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I've shared with him. He knows, he, he's not interested where he is right now. He's not interested. He just wants an argument. He's not going to listen. He knows I've shared these things before. He's not taken them on board. He's not thought them through. And so I said to him, I said, all right. I said, I, I don't want to share about it, actually. What? Thought you were trying to save the world. Yeah, but I don't feel like sharing it. I, you know, these things are precious to me, and you just want an argument. I'll tell you what I'll do, I said to him. I'm going to give you a book, and I know it's the right book for him, by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity, that discusses a lot of the very things that you keep bringing up. I'm going to get that book for you. And when you've read that book, and you want to come back and discuss it, we can talk again. I thought, well, if he's interested, he's interested. It's not much. It's a, little, it's, a, it's, a, it's a smaller book. You know, it's not a huge book, and he's a reader. So I bought him the book, and I gave it to him. And that must have been about 15 years ago. To this day, he's still not read it. You're not interested. You're not interested. I'm not going to throw pearls. If you are interested, then I need to see a change in your heart. Because, you know, this is just a joke. This is, this, you know, we share our faith. And, and, okay, and not everybody's going to like our faith. And we've got to be thick-skinned. But sometimes it's like, wait a second, you, do you know what? You're just, you, you're just talking about my Jesus. And I can take, you know, enough, certain amount, at a certain amount of time. But there comes a point when it's inappropriate for you to talk about my God like that. Now, unlike other religions, I'm not going to burn your house down and, you know, go and kick the hell out of everybody around. Because, you know, if I don't, you know, my God's not, isn't strong enough to save himself. So he's got a whole bunch of violent people to try and do it for him. If Allah's God, let him save himself. God, Yahweh doesn't need anyone to save him. In fact, he gets annoyed if anybody tries to do it. He says, leave it, I'll sort it. But Alice can't seem to do anything. 
lest his supporters go and fight on his behalf. I think that's the major distinction between the two gods. If God is God, let him be God. You don't have to fight for anything. Just thought I'd throw that one in. So it was, it's inappropriate to, to do that, you see. So you have to think. And sometimes I have been in situations where I've thought to Christians where I've been in like parties or something they're witnessing. There's times when I thought, you know what? I thought to myself, stop it now. Stop it. It's gone on too long. They're not listening. You know, it's okay if it's, even if it's a big discussion, isn't it? If there's value. But sometimes it's like, forget it. I remember I was witnessing to some Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my house. And they brought a new, Je- uh, I'm not going to get anywhere near the end where I wanted to. Um, after this, there's a whole bunch of stuff on prayer that we're not going to really get through. But we teach a lot on prayer. I want to get to the end of um, next week. But that's okay. I've just got to go with the flow. Um, it's all right. Okay. And, and, and I want to talk about this because this is not the sort of scripture I often preach on. But asking it will be given to you. We come back to very often, so you'll excuse me if we don't go into that too much in depth. I'll make reference to it next week before we go right into the enter by the narrow way and false prophets and all that. That's something I need to get, 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 get some revelation for you on. But I was witnessing to these Jehovah's Witnesses, and one of them was a very new Jehovah's Witness and being accompanied by another. And um, they'd come to my house, and so they were there. And so I began to witness, and they began to speak to me. And there was a discussion and an exchange of views. And I thought, this is positive. I'm hearing what they're saying, but they're listening to what I'm saying, you know. And, um, but there came a point where suddenly their shutters went up, you know what I'm saying? Well, at least not in the young one. Uh, she had to get the young one away because the young one was like, well, that's a really good point. <laughs> but the other one, the shutters went up and started arguing. And I realized that, yeah. You know, any more discussion with this particular individual is worthless. I'm not going to throw pearls anymore. The person's obviously not listening, you know, just trying to throw things at me. And I thought this is inappropriate. And sometimes, you know, we want to witness, but think to yourself, when those shutters go up, when they start mocking, when they when they're stopped listening to you, it's inappropriate to give them pearls. Inappropriate. And I've been in situations where, you know, people have mocked my faith. And I thought, right, fine, in my neighborhood, fine. You won't get any of it then. You think, oh, that's not witnessing. No, no, no. Anyway, you don't want to hear. Or, or, or when we first moved into our close, we had our neighbors who we're very good friends with now. But the neighbors came in. The first night, we just moved in. We had boxes and everything. Neighbors came in, knocked at the door. And uh, the lady said, hello, we're so-and-so. We're your neighbors uh, we hear that you're a, a minister and a minister, well, it was to my wife, we hear that your husband's a minister. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're Catholics, so don't even bother trying to Bible bash us. Yeah, it's true. But anything else we can help you with, feel free to ask. So I thought, right, if that's the way you want it, that's the way you're going to get it. So even when we got to know them, they were sort of like, so, so how, how's things going in the ministry? Fine. Oh, all right. Yeah, fine. Business is good. Okay. And I'm like, what? Because we're Bible bash. In other words, a Bible basher to them is somebody who's going to appropri- inappropriately bash him with the Bible all the time. If you don't want the Lord, you don't have to have him. I'll let you know who he is and I'll give you the opportunity. You don't want him, don't have him. That's your choice. You'll stand before the judgment seat. Not I, but I'll give you the opportunity. You don't want to hear, I'm not going to throw you my pearl. Well, anyway, the, the good news is, is that after they got to know us and 
thought how strange it was that I was very quiet about it, things began to pick up. Do you know what I mean? It was counterintuitive, I suppose. Also, there's, there's a time also in discipleship, and I've mentioned it also in relationship, where you have to think, is what you're sharing appropriate to the person that you're sharing? If someone's a new believer, you need to strengthen them and give them milk. And sometimes it's not, to appro it's not appropriate at the time to share with them deeper truths that they're not ready to take. You have to think, are they ready for this? Are they ready for this? Uh, sometimes you know, there's other things. For example, Facebook. You know, there's some people on Facebook, not, no one here, but who dried me up the wall with the rubbish that they spout. Absolute biblical rubbish. And what even annoys me even more is how many people believe it. Like there's, a, like there's a number up there that talking about, you know, everybody's going to go to heaven in the end. Taking a few scriptures. That's why I'm partly dealing with this next month. Putting a few scriptures up. And then, you know, I look at it and I think, the ignorance of God's people to just fall for it. Just a Greek word. And everybody believes it. And the times I have been so tempted... To write. And it's like God says, what are you, what you doing? I'm going to tell this person. I'm going to expose this person for what they are on Facebook. Don't throw your pearl. Don't throw your pearl. Because you know what's going to happen. You're just giving that person a platform. Because of your position, all of a sudden the associate minister, that's what they want. They want, they want, they want that. They love that. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate to do that. You'll get sucked into something. I had a friend of mine, a minister, and uh, I was on Facebook, and I saw him get into one of these things, and I inboxed him, which, in other words, was private. I said, what are you doing? I, I can't allow this error to be taught. I said, do you know what? Just walk away. It's inappropriate for who you are to get involved with this person because you're somebody in the kingdom, and this person is a parasite to the body of Christ. It's inappropriate. And when I see you doing it, it's take it, the dignity that God has given you and the authority that God has given you, it's like it's being trampled. And he said, you're right. And he stepped away. You see, There's a time to deal with issues, but you know, my responsibility under God and our senior minister is to tend for this flock. To tend for this flock. Can't, you know, and if God gives me a platform in the future in other areas, I'll speak. I'm not afraid to speak. But I want to give pearls. Thank God that if I have any pearls to offer at the five o'clock, they haven't been trampled. They've been received as something from the Lord or from the, or from the Word. And I'm using myself as an example in my position, but it's, it's the same for you. Remember, this is... This isn't saying don't share. If anybody goes away thinking, oh, I'm not going to share anything with anybody, you've missed the point. We should share, and sometimes robust conversation and even argument is absolutely fine. But, you know, they call us Bible bashers partly because of inappropriate witnessing. Partly. Partly, it's just, you know, but partly. Oh, you're one of these Bible bashers. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Someone who's trying to thrust, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these people that's going to force you into anything. If you, if you don't want the resurrected Christ, then that's up to you. But have you heard who he is to reject him? And uh, also, sometimes these pearls, like I've mentioned before, and I want to finish on that. 
sometimes you can share something with somebody. And all right, I'm speaking a bit more of a, as a leader now, but we're growing in leaders. This is a church that wants to produce more and more leaders. We want everybody to become a cell leader, you know, eventually. And so you're going to be in leadership. And sometimes when you've been in leadership, and when you've been in leadership a long time and been through a lot and seen a lot, Sometimes other people can come at fresh, you know, fresh off the, round the block. You've been round the block about a thousand times. They've been about, round about once, but they think they know exactly the same as you. They think they know exactly the same as you. And if you, if you mention it to them, they think you're being arrogant. And there's been times in my ministry when I have opened up and shared a pearl of wisdom into a disciple's life, and it's been dismissed. I thought to myself, you have no idea how long it took to produce the pearl that I just gave you. How many of you know, why did Jesus, we've said, why did Jesus use the analogy of the dog and the pig? But why did he use the analogy of the pearl? He could have used the analogy of gold, wouldn't, couldn't he? Don't give your gold. But what is gold a picture of? Faith. <coughs> but pearl, pearl, wisdom. <coughs> and how, you know, how does a pearl form? It's in that oyster shell. And it's the pressure, and it just takes one, they say, one little grain of sand in there, and the pressure and the rubbing of this grain, the pressure and the um, friction, pressure, friction, pressure, friction, time, and eventually that pearl is formed. You just can't form a pearl like that. So Jesus is talking about something that is not just precious to you, but something that was hard won. It, it could be what you learned through that trial. How many of you know that if you've been through a trial somebody else has, they have to be very spiritual to even begin to appreciate it? Or they simply say, well, that's your trial. I've had my trial. Big deal. Big deal. And so you give somebody a pearl and they look at it and they dismiss it. Or you say to some, somebody in discipleship something that's tough or hard. And they can't take it. Because you're giving them something tough or hard, but they're not taking it spiritually, so they think you're trying to dominate them, or you're trying to get one over on them, or you're trying to, like, you know, say you don't know nothing. And, and so they take it carnally. Do you hear what I'm saying? They want soul food. Now, I like soul food. But they want soul food. They want soulishness. They want food. They want something. Oh, you're great. You're this. You're the other. But you give them a pearl. And they go, I can't digest that. I don't like that. That's not what I want. Why are you giving this anyway? What's your ulterior motive? Duh, 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 duh. And they shut down the communication. When I said it's taught on uh, the, the thing uh, a couple of Sundays ago on um, couldn't speak to you as spiritual, what I was saying is carnality shuts down the voice of God. You can't hear the word properly because you're only looking for carnal things from it, what I can get out of it. You can't hear the sermon properly because if somebody does say something that's strong meat, you can't digest it because you're carnal like a baby. You just spit it out. Yeah, you hear what I'm saying? And so how much more with the pearl of wisdom? So this means sometimes you have to, when you're sharing with someone as a leader, you've got to say, are they ready for what I've got to say? Just like, in a sense, Joseph, his family weren't ready for what he had to say. What he had to say was true, but they weren't ready for it, and, he, and he'd, have, he'd have done better to keep it quiet. And so sometimes in leadership, you look at somebody, and you're appraising them, and you're saying, can they take this pearl? 
Or are they going to spit it out? Are they going to misunderstand it? Are they going to treat what you're about to say fleshly or carnally? Are they going to take what you say and throw it back at you, laugh at it? Are they, are they going to, is that sharing of the intimacy of your relationship with God and your experience? Is two or three or four or five or six months down the line, is somebody going to, is somebody going to come back and throw it back in your face? We need to be people that are looking for the pearls. Looking for the pearls. We, we need to be the ones that the holy things are pearls. That we ourselves keep ourselves spiritually open to God. That you can look beyond perhaps the offense that surfaces to see the truth of the pearl that might be within. You hear what I'm saying? You will miss the greatest pearls if you tolerate fleshliness. Fleshy attitudes, fleshy reactions, fleshly thinkings. You'll miss the pearl. You'll get offended. You'll think this, that, and the other. And you'll miss the pearl. If you've got a pig mentality all about your stomach. If you've got a dog mentality, you're going to miss the pearl. But if you are mature or maturing and you're looking for the God in everything, the God in everything, you know... You find that if, you find, if, if someone said to you in that muck over there, there's a pearl, what would you do? You'd go into the muck, wouldn't you? And you'd separate the muck until you found the pearl. Often, we're not prepared to deal with the muck to find the pearl. We dismiss it. We dismiss it. Someone says there's a treasure in that field. You say, where? It's in the field. We say, I'm not, get, I'm not going in there. It's all muddy and dirty. Yeah, but there's a treasure in the field. And we say, well, you find it, clean it up, and I'll have it. So this is a very interesting thing. Pause for thought, isn't it? Having Jesus saying, don't judge others. Don't be judgmental. Don't point the finger at them. Be merciful, and you'll receive mercy. And as we'll see later, treat others as you want to be treated yourself. Do all these things. But then he says, but step back. And think about the pearls. Are you in a position where you're ready to receive pearls? And are you giving the right pearls to the right people? These are things that are worthy of thought and prayer. Amen. Well, next week is our last in the series of the Sermon on the Mount. And I will be focusing in very strongly on, um, on entering the narrow gate, what that means and also, uh, we've got things like the tree being cut down and, not, and everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And I really want to come into this. And it finishes with, if you build your house on the sand or the rock, I really want to come into that. Because that is the conclusion. And basically, at the end of it, Jesus is saying, you've had the Sermon on the Mount. What matters now is what you do with it. Amen. Thanks, Gabriel. Thanks very much, Bruce. If you want to pick up that individual message, it is available on CD and DVD straight away after the service. Do remember, Bruce is going to be back for the 7 o'clock for the Holy Spirit.